from Central Sauce and the Fifth Element Podcast Network. This is In Search of Sauce, a celebration of the writers who are saving music journalism from death by clickbait. I'm your host for today's episode. My name is Mickey Hellerback, and I'm here with Tyler Jones. Tyler, what up? What's up? How you doing, guys? Tyler Jones here. I'm um, ready to rock and roll. Yes, sir. And with Brandon Hill. What up, Brandon? What's up, guys? Uh, my voice is gonna sound like shit today. I'm recovering from a bit of sickness, but we're gonna we're gonna power through. Happy yeah, to be you here. know, we we all got each other's back out here when we're feeling a little under the weather. We're gonna make this pod happen. And uh, as you all may know, if you've listened to the pod before, uh, we are all writers at Central Sauce uh, and elsewhere. And uh, thanks for listening again. If this is a repeat listen for you, and thank you to all of our new listeners if you are joining in for the first time. Yeah, appreciate you. So uh, we are going to discuss three really cool pieces today. Actually, this is really, uh, and you know, our editor, Charlie, if he's listening to our recordings, can uh, call this the interview episode for sure, because we are we got three interviews coming at you that we're going to talk about. Uh, first one is part of OK Player's First Look Friday series, um, and it's entitled Red Veil is the DMV's Next Great Hope. It's written by Josh Fetz. Uh, yeah. Uh, me and Brandon have actually both written for the First Look Friday series, so it's cool to talk about someone else who's kind of tackled the vibe of of that that series. Um, next one we're going to talk about is a piece called "Taking Flight Bree Run Runway Interviewed," uh, and that's for Clash Magazine. The world words are by Rahel Aklilu. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And yeah, that's an interview with UK specifically Hackney bred. Uh, Sing, pop star, singer, rapper, Brie Runway, and that's a really cool piece. Um, actually, I just messed up the order. I'm yeah, not I'm killing d- it today. GQ but, second. <laughs> uh, so that one's going to be the last one. I skipped my own piece, which is funny. Um, but the second piece <laughs> after the Red Veil piece that we're going to do is In Search of Chad Hugo by Jeff Mao for GQ. Jeff Mao, the kind of uh, OG journalist and legend, um, and uh, also known sometimes as Chairman Mao. Uh, I believe that is even still his Twitter handle. Um, but yeah, so those are the three. Again, we're going to go Red Veil to Chad Hugo to Bree Runway. Um, but before we get into it, uh, I wanted to start with a little round of what we've been listening to. And I'm going to start us off and just say I have been listening to none other than the King Kendrick Lamar, who just dropped enough said all I got to <laughs> say. Um, but we'll move right into Tyler Jones if he wants to add anything to that about what he's been listening to. Uh, I've also been listening to Kendrick. I am uh, granted once again we are, are recording this is like as the day after it dropped. It's uh, so I've only had two great solid listens, but more so on my rotation, I'm still bumping Saba. Few good things. I am also loving every single second of "She Might Bleed" by Sipho. Sipho, how do you say that name? <laughs> I I believe it's Sipho, but uh, Sipho? Tyler, I put I believe I put Tyler onto that. He's one of my favorite singers out the UK right now for sure. He did, and it's fantastic. Um, getting back into Amber Mark because I see her this weekend live at the Loft in Atlanta. Um, and then also, last but not least, I've been listening to all of 
the repeat has been um Alex Isley and Jack Dines Marigold. Um very lovely R and B record. Dope. Yeah, those are all great listens. I rock with Amber Mark, obviously. I feel like I've talked about her on the pod. Brandon, what have you been listening to? Yeah, actually, I haven't been on the pod for a while, and I'm realizing that now as I'm sort of, like, looking at what I've been adding to my playlist, like, since the last time on the pod. Um, Vince Staples, for sure. Like, Vince Staples, oh, for sure. Yeah, Big yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pu- Pusha T. Pusha T. I haven't even been on since Pusha T dropped. I love the way he starts that album. Like, Brambleton, like, the energy right off the bat. Um, I think it's something Pusha T, like, really excels at. Uh, also, we've got the new Kalani which dropped like so yeah, quietly, so quietly for <laughs> yeah, like yeah. For how fucking good that album is. Incredible. Um, yeah. Shooter interlude is literally like one of my favorite songs of the year. I think uh, other than that, we also got new Otis Mensa. Um, if you follow us around at central sauce, like if you read our work, uh, you know, we love Otis Mensa, um, this indie sort of very like spoken word existential rapper from the UK, um, former Sheffield poet laureate, check out his new EP. That shit's, fire man we love otis essential sauce dope so yeah i mean just to get us kicked off in the words of the great vince staples but now in terms of this podcast i love this shit like my mama and we'll just go right <laughs> into uh brandon with the first piece go ahead brandon introduce your piece all right so my piece is uh like mickey said it is from the first look friday series at okay player which me and mickey have both contributed to um it's by josh svetz uh, who is also an editor, the reviews editor at Hip Hop DX. Great guy. I think this is the first time we've featured him on the podcast, actually, though. Um, the piece is titled, Red Veil is the DMV's Next Great Hope. So Red Veil is an 18-year-old artist from the DMV who's just dropped his second entirely self-produced project. Uh, his first project, Niagara, released when he was only 17, uh, was picked up and reviewed by Anthony Fantano, his second one, Learn to Swim, the subject of the piece we're discussing today, scored an 8.0 on Pitchfork. Wow, Pitchfork, reviewed by Dylan Green, uh, who is a, I'm pretty sure, a recurring name that comes up on this podcast from articles yep, we've covered. Dylan. Yeah, I love his stuff. Um, so at an extremely young age, Redville has gathered some pretty serious media attention uh, from conventional media, indie creators, and social media groups. And one of the reasons that this interview piece by Josh Fetz um, is special is because due to his age, Redville's actual media presence compared to the attention of his work is pretty slim. I don't think he did any interviews around Niagara um, because he was in a minor at the time that it was getting attention. So as Learn to Swim talks about Redville's thoughts on coming of age, there's something really pure about the conversation. Uh, the coming of age album, you know, isn't his first success. So his perspective on coming of age is influenced by the self-assuredness of successes that he's already had. And one quote from the, the Q&A section of the piece that really spoke to me, you know, is I was imagining like having this level of insight um, at the young age of 18 years old. So here's a quote from Redville. He says, I wanted to talk about different ways that I felt alienated as a young person with various mental health challenges. I had the idea of being on Mars before the song was written, but as I was writing it, I was coming to the realization that as a result of this alienation, I felt there was this unnecessary resentment of the people around me and the people that love me. This was something that I really wanted to let go of and learn to work on. So that, you know, really spoke to me as like someone so young whose music, you know, for, for previous projects up until this one as well, has really dealt with um, 
as Spets mentions in the piece too, sort of the same lane as that Earl sweatshirt, um, that Mavi, that very like introspective processing of um, the effect of mental health on yourself, right? But this is coming from a much younger person. Um, another aspect of the piece that I want to discuss is the way that lockdowns and the pandemic shifted the music media sphere into this digital space. Uh, Spets did this interview over Zoom. That's a big part of the lead is sort of um, this window into Redvale's life that is is painted through, you know, the lens of a Zoom camera, right? Um, and not only that, like Redvale is one of those artists that really gained their support during COVID lockdowns um, through the increasingly digital focused world of the last few years. You know, a, a couple of years ago, um, a sort of feature interview style piece like this never would have been done over Zoom. Um, you know, that it was, you know, an interview needed to be done in person to to gather, you know, um, a sense of the surroundings, a sense of the personhood, a sense of the communication. And I think most journalists who have sort of experienced both would still agree that in person um, gives you a better, more complete image. And yet now we're in this area where like, we do have the ability to do these over Zoom and these pitches are being accepted and these interviews are being valued. Um, and people have more experience sort of using this perspective and this more digital style um, to the fullest extent that it can be used, right? And I think Svets's piece here is a good example of that. So one of the w ways I wanted to start off this conversation with you guys um, is really talk about like, how do you think the digital aspect of this interview and of Redvale's career, uh, you know, is really co sort of communicated through this piece. And first, a round of, a round of applause, because my voice, I think, only cracked like one time <laughs> during that whole spiel. So we're we're holding it yes, together. Sir. We're definitely you, voice, voicing our support. You made it through. Uh, I think that I, I'm glad that you brought that up, Brandon, um, first and foremost, because I think like the thing that really stuck out to me about this and like the digital side, as you mentioned, and like the I think Svets did a really good job of like encapsulating the the access that was gained with Red Veil through the kind of digital age and then that's like paralleled within the style of interview but it also like showed how because he's had this access his career has gone so full circle in in a time before he's even like become what we would know societally as an adult and i think that was that felt like the real truth through line of the piece is like all of these things that are like he started as like someone who has directly influenced most more than any other artist by Tyler, the creator. And then he had this whole like career trajectory turnaround into like Tyler, the creator posting him on Twitter, but he's still like, you know, going into his first year of college and <laughs> figuring out like that, like transition from teenagehood to adulthood. And, uh, but it's, it's crazy to think about like that, what the, the digital age and I, I think I kept me ruminating on it while I was reading it has provided, um, for an artist to come full circle in such a short period of time. Because <laughs> even if you think about like the classic rap, like Nas was like super young when Illmatic came out, but I don't think you could say that his career did anything resembling what that like real full circle that Red Veil has been able to do because he's able to like attach himself to all these different elements of the digital sphere. So yeah, I thought that was accomplished a lot in the piece. And it's even like, I mean, one of the main differences too is that this is this digital sphere is driven largely by Redvale's own social media interaction, right? It's not a conversation that, that was initially generated by 
um, conventional media, like right off the bat, as with artists like pre-digital age, right? They get into the conversation through some kind of article or some kind of physical platform somewhere, right? And then that generates the conversation. Like this was, you know, an authentic, like digital, like artist first growth into the conventional media. Yeah. Um, something I thought was really dope about it. And it, we're talking about full circle moments, right? And just like in terms of, it's kind of like funny and just wordplay. It's like this, because of the internet, they, we're able to have these types of interviews and everything of that nature, right? And then also because the internet song um palace slash curse is the reason why he started wanting to making beats i thought i was like oh it's like we're now talking about how um the use of technology during the pandemic has like helped like interviewers flourish and have able to connect through artists and it is literally the group because the internet also you know helped him start his music career um i do want to say real quick um you both have to send me your first look friday pieces because i have not seen them this is my first look. Uh, this is my first time reading a first look Friday piece from uh, fr- from the uh, outlet. I was like, "Oh, this is dope!" Because at first, I didn't know this was going into a straight up interview. I thought there was going to be more of a profile. Um, as it re- as it, as I read it through, and as I, and I was like, "Oh, we're getting to an actual quote unquote real interview portion of it, where it's like a back and forth per se." Um, and I think we, as we've discussed multiple times on here, the types of interview style that you go with when and especially when you're this is like an introduction to somebody right and especially an artist who's so young 18 years old and i because if i'm mistaken we also covered red veil on when we were doing by brandon actually um it was through the dre wave song um and that was my first introduction to them um just through that feature so seeing how josh wrote this piece and really let me into his mindset and got a little bit better taste a better taste or acceptance of him was great and because something i also do is i listen to a project right before and right after i read something if it's for an artist and this helped me get a better scope of them as well yeah that's dope uh just so everyone knows and do some shameless self-promotion i guess is the the first look <laughs> look friday piece that i wrote is on the producer groove who's from north carolina and produced specifically sacrifices um by the dreamville camp that was on the revenge of the dreamers 3 album and brandon uh did a profile on um benji who is uh, actually uh, remind me is christo's brother or he's yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Chris newest, newest member of Spillage Village, so also Dream Village Jason. That's a weird coincidence. Yeah, 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 which is kind of funny. Um, but me and Brandon, when we did both of our pieces, actually um, did them in the kind of strict narrative profile piece rather than doing the kind of Q&A section. But I did definitely think that that was like an interesting element of this um, piece. But I, de- I wanted to get into, Brandon, I don't know if you wanted to talk about this too, but like, I mean, obviously it's in the title, right? But um, and I'm I'm from Baltimore. Yeah, so of course. There's like yeah. a DMV <laughs> through an attachment to the first through line that we kind of just talked through is like there's this DMV element and kind of uh, how Svets, who I believe I, I don't know, I think he's from the region or either or lives there now, too. Um, I feel like I saw him tweet about it. But yeah, I believe uh, so, yeah. but yeah, there's I like the specific kind of like paralleling of the kind of full circle and the like DMV element and how he kind of came full circle again. And that's outlined in the piece about the region where he's from too. Like he initially, he like literally made a song about wanting to get out of where he's from, which is, I believe PG County, Maryland. And then 
in the within the kind of intro there's like a quote that's pulled about how he like really respects the kind of the the diversity of the region and the different types of things that kind of make it great um and i'm just a quick thing open it back up is like what that really made me that made me that kind of section of it made me really reflect about like my own relationship with the region and where i'm from and that kind of like feeling of growing up at his age and being like, Oh, I got to get out of here to see mm. what else is out there. And then, I mean, I literally over the pandemic moved back to Baltimore and I've been here since. And like, you know, and even when I was like, you know, moving around and living in Brooklyn and shit, it was like garnering a new respect for what my home was. Um, is like a real thing that I didn't have the full circle real <laughs> shit until I was like fully into adulthood. But it's just still crazy to think that Red Veil has had that whole like full turnaround before he's even like gone away. Absolutely. Yeah. And and Mickey, also, there's another section I wanted to direct at you as well, too, which is sort of the production aspects of this. Right. Like a lot of times um, we're going to I mean, we're going to go heavy into the production on your GQ piece, but actually in a very similar way, um, I liked how this piece also highlighted Red Veil's work as not just a rapper, but as a self-produced rapper, right, as, as young as he is. Um, and that seems to be, you know, a rising trend more with, like, these younger independent rappers. I've mentioned this several times on the podcast before, but, like, you know, these younger rising rappers are never just rappers, you know. they're If they're not self-producing their own stuff, you know, they're also social media experts, like entrepreneurs, graphic designers, you know. They branch into all these other areas, right, that feed their creativity. Um, so I like the focus on Red Veil here, like not just strictly for his rapping, which is what I think he's garnered, um, you know, a lot of his accolades based on, but also for the way that he has self-produced with a very specific, you know, intention. Um, and there's, and there's sort of this dichotomy between his first project, Niagara, and the second project, Learn to Swim, where you see in just a short time, uh, Red Veil talks about going from this heavy, like sample-based production style um, with the limited resources he had at 17 to just a year later with learn to swim, uh, moving on to like a big band style, you know, working with lots of different live instrumentalists, um, and putting that stuff together. So Mickey, as, as our resident, like sort of production journalist expert, um, you know, what, what's your take on, on, on the way that that's presented in this piece and sort of on Redville's perspective of that, you know, evolution in his production style? <laughs> resident production expert is way too od and it's not earned but i will i will say that it, i think it actually ties back to your first point brandon which is like the exploration of the digital age and kind of like that 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 is really kind of what has given red veil the access and re, not just red veil but like the general scope of young rappers coming into the game a lot of them are producing first because there is the the resources to do so are so accessible and it seems like that's pretty well outlined in the piece mm -hmm. as well i thought um that you know that was just kind of the it felt like in the piece it was outlined as like the natural progression of like being interested in doing music is like oh i gotta figure out something to like rap on if i'm gonna be a rapper so you know i'm 14 let me just like get on my computer and use youtube university and like find some software to probably illegally download although that wasn't said <laughs> and then maybe eventually buy the shit um, but, <laughs> but yeah 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 um yeah, I mean, I think it was really outlined that the kind that is like that is the way that many kind of up and coming artists in their teens are just doing it naturally because the information is just so readily available in the digital age. It's kind of funny this um, to connect this to like a somewhat of an interview. I was watching the I Am Other channel where it was Kenny Beats and Pharrell talking, which is 
we do chat next, um, how he was saying, even as reference, that it's easier for producers to like start nowadays because instead of having to go, um, having to go into these private sessions of like getting a beat pack or having to be in the studio with Pharrell to get his drums and everything, you can literally find it on the internet. The way you can like start producing and really that's how your four-way into music is, is so key now because of the, because of the internet. Technology is like helped everything. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take advantage of, of that, like, super easy transition into my piece. That's <laughs> okay with y'all. Um, the it was transition just too, between these two. You guys, like, wow, too, like the unbelievable much. setup by my co-host is is just really, you guys are, like, hitting it out of the park today. Brandon with the introducing the idea of production, and then Tyler really, really setting me up for, you know, the alley-oop slam dunk with talking about Pharrell, because my piece uh, is... In Search of Chad Hugo by Jeff Mao for GQ. Um, and if you don't know who Chad Hugo is, he's one, the other half of the Neptunes as a duo. Um, so first, to kind of get into me talking about the piece, I do want to welcome everyone back to everyone who listens to the podcast. Favorite segment, Mickey brings a piece of the podcast that he himself <laughs> wishes he had written. Back again, going strong. Um, and this has become, I guess, my thing, but I, I had I had to do it to him again. You know what I'm saying? Um, we come back here often, and I'm glad we're back, really. Uh, what a great and unique behind-the-scenes look into the mind process and career trajectory of a legacy producer this piece is. What I will say also, though, is there are uh, unbelievably clear reasons why Jeff Mao should have written this piece and not right. me. And I'm glad that he did. The most obvious reason is the connection a few times uh, that Chad Hugo and Jeff Mao have on kind of Asian parents and Asian upbringings um, within the U.S., which for obvious reasons I could not have provided any context to. Um, But uh, aside from that, you can also feel in the piece a bit more mastery, I think, than I could have provided by Jeff of that initial Neptune's blow up period. Because as I said, kind of as I was introducing him before we even got into the pieces, he's like a real OG journalist in the game from, to my knowledge, I think the early 90s. So when I was just like hearing Mystical shake your ass for the first time, he was literally in the field covering the Neptunes in their prime. Um, one thing I will say, though, again, just to bring up Mystical Shaky Ass again, if I was doing this piece, there is not a chance in the world I would not have brought up that production with Chad Hugo and had an entire paragraph about it because that is a weirdly seminal song within my journey of hip hop. And I know no one cares about that but me, but I just had to say that for the facts. Separately, uh, what this piece does an incredible job of capturing is just how much of a true musician and creator Chad is. Mal cleverly makes this idea... Uh, takes this idea to where it can go through the through line. He starts the piece explaining it was hard to do a classic interview because Chad literally just wanted to jam with him on some instruments, which was just so funny to me. Chad also talks in the piece about not wanting any element of the industry side of creation to infiltrate his work and how he'd rather take on a separate career entirely, literally becoming a paralegal uh, rather than let the kind of industry side coexist with his process. Um, one other moment I wanted to highlight before I kind of open it up, there's this quick moment where Mao jumps out of the narrative. So interestingly enough, I'm glad we did the red veil piece now first, because it jumps from that narrative style 
to a quick Q&A and then yes. goes back to the narrative style. But it is a seminal and hugely important moment in the piece. And I honestly don't think I've seen that. I've seen other people execute this kind of like a quick aside Q&A, but never quite as well as this because it feels like the centerpiece of the whole thing. Seamless. Um, Probably I've never yeah, seen it so before, I, actually. I, I have, but this one was like really like, it was like, oh, this almost feels like in the middle of the piece, we've like hit the thesis. I don't um, think it's super uncommon for that to happen in GQ. I think actually the weekend, yeah. the weekend cover story oh, was that GQ did that. Oh, really well. yeah, yeah. yeah, that, that was, on, yeah. And I think but that was more I was, that episode too. That was more <laughs> I wasn't on that episode, but too. I remember that. Exactly you weren't on that too. episode. Oh, that's a shame. Cause you love the weekend. I know I, I would have had a lot to say about that, but anyway, let's get back to um, this piece. So when, let me just kind of read the Q and a for our listening audience really quick and, and you'll kind of get right away why this was a really slick kind of aside Q&A and how it works so well and why it kind of, you know, culminates everything about the piece that that it culminates everything that the piece is about. Um, so Mao asks, oh, let me give you a little context before I get right into it. Um, Mao is talking about the pressure of the, the industry side, as I was talking about before, before we kind of went off on a tangent, the pressure of the industry industry side. Um, when everything was getting really chaotic and like the pressures of all of that. And Mal very simply asks, did you feel pressure? Hugo answers all the time. Mal then retorts and asks, how did you manage that? And Hugo answers, just keep on playing. He says quietly, just keep on playing. And uh, that just seemed like the absolute, you know, the, the, re- <laughs> the reason that was discovered through the interview of why the piece exists and the thing to mainly highlight about Chad Hugo that like, you know, the music has to be the centerpiece of his existence and letting anything else infiltrate doesn't feel right to him. And that's kind of what's garnered him all his success. Um, so that was a lot. That was kind of one of my longer intros in a while. I've been trying to keep them short. But uh, yeah, I, I really love this piece. What are y'all's initial thoughts? Why don't we start with Tyler? Uh, yeah, I thought the piece was fantastic. Um, I don't think I've ever read anything i mean outside of like independent research and everything of that nature i've never read like an article about chad i don't think i, I can't in recent memory i can't think of, uh, of people who have done just in separate articles on chad and it was great to uh read one and get a almost a full scope of him as more than anything else as we as they were saying musician Mu- he speaks through music he's one of those people who was like I don't, if I don't have any other words, listen to my, listen to my bass, listen to my, listen to my keys, listen to this instead of, and let that speak for him. And I, cause I, I appreciate getting his personality more than anything else. But for someone who doesn't talk so much, literally through that quote itself, he's like, what, why am I, he's like, why am I here? Like literally in the previous burger, I was like, he's like, why am I, ha- why do I have my arms folded on this bus? <laughs> um, it was it was touching at times because like it's as, as journalists and as people that music journalists specifically as people who have always found a connection through music, we've let music speak through us. So finding the guy who's made soundtracks to our lives, realizing he's the same way was very humanizing and it, it was, it was wonderful to me. So Mal did a fantastic job. I cannot speak highly enough of what he did um, cause another, and uh, Mickey, as you were, as you were, as what you were getting into as well, is how he structured the piece that made it hit even more. Um, but yeah, Brandon. Yeah. So 
If you're a regular listener of the podcast, you know I am a hardcore nerd about interviews and profiles. Like, that is my, like, thing I dive into and dissect, like, all sorts of shit. And what I love so much about this particular profile is that Jeff, you get the sense that he really doesn't get that much information from Chad, right? There's not, like, a clearly defined Q&A where it's like, okay, I have these questions that I need answers to, to paint an image of this person I'm profiling. And he goes in and he asks question one, two, three, four, you know, and he gets the pieces he needs to start painting, right? Like right off the bat, you know, one of the first things that he writes about Chad Hugo is that, you know, he doesn't want to talk about himself, right? You know, he, he goes in there, you know, you know, he's got questions prepared. The nature of this piece, you know, is so like, you can tell that the writer just like really wanted to talk about Chad and wanted to talk to Chad and he's very prepared for this interview, but then it kind of like goes in a a direction that he doesn't exactly expect. Right. You know, Chad, right at the beginning of the, of the piece, um, Jeff writes, um, is Chad producing me? Like, cause Chad starts getting him, you know, just teaching him how to strum an F chord on a guitar. Right. And so you can get the sense that things are kind of derailed from the sense of a typical like Q&A interview style. Um, Even to the point that one of the only quotes from Chad that really touches directly on his perspective on his own life, really, in an in-depth way, um, is through a follow-up conversation, not the initial interview. You know, so you, you sort of get a sense that like, you know, Jeff goes in and he just gets lost in this character, right? Gets lost in in observation and and like understanding through his own knowledge and experience of who he is and how his music has informed his own life. And then he goes back to write the story and he's like, oh, wait a minute, like there's some holes here that I got to fill in a follow-up call, right? Because he just got so into the piece. Uh, but in that sense, it builds a more honest profile because that's who Chad is. You know, Chad isn't the guy who sits there and tells you his life story, you know, or, you know, or, you know, gives you a a two hour long interview where there's like segments where he's talking for 10 minutes at a time. You know, it's the very, very opposite of that. Uh, And that comes through like very strong in this piece. It was one of my favorite parts about sort of the fluidity of the writing that, that Jeff brings to it. Yeah. I think it would have been really easy and almost impulsive to make this piece a real like classic the man the myth the legend Chad <laughs> and it, i think um it seems like either jeff had has like incredibly good instincts off rip or he really let the piece come to him it, it you feel that throughout the the kind of entire thing and also you know again because chad it was so prolific for a period of time and people are interested in hearing about him rather than having like he did all this and now he's doing this it's like well he existed in this space in his own unique way and let's kind of like dive into that a little bit and then let's see all of those things that he discovered about himself through that time how they actually even though he's like it's not like a chad is back it's like a and chad is coming back in exactly the little ways here and there that he feels comfortable with because he knows he doesn't want to dip his toes into the industry too far and like get out of his comfort zone and his space that he's developed for himself um and it's kind of like the it's a lot of the piece like reflecting the aura of the space like you do really truly feel like you get 
a sense of what the room feels like when you're just kind of vibing with Chad Hugo. Um, and it just doesn't feel in a way that could be so easily, not necessarily over dramatized, but dramatized because he is such a legacy figure. Um, I, I really, I really, I think my favorite part about the piece pretty simply is the tone. Um, yeah. Any, any other, any other thoughts you guys are, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I've oh, actually, oh, I've, got, go I've got so many, no, you go ahead, Todd. Oh, I just, okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, I could keep going forever. I just want to, okay. <laughs> um, but I want to say like, so if I could like describe this piece in like a few words, and like how he wrote it and how he structured it because and it still has very much so clear structure even what i'm about to say it's like it's floating it's like it's you're floating in the presence of chad it's not it's and while it, you it, you could there's like i said there's a clear structure of how he did it he let and, and as you said before mickey he kind of like let everything come to him it's as chad almost got more comfortable with him in the moment that's when you got like the most to me, poignant or, um, let me see, hitting notes for me. Like um, when Chad says, I feel like this is the last round of of making music. I think, I don't know. I think this is it. And you mean with the music industry, he's like, I don't know. And then it's because it's, 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 it's almost like in this like internal limbo. But then he like at the end of that quote, he then says like, I don't know. I love after having a call with him, he's like, I love creating. It's like, it's like, a, it's like, will he, will he not? But at the same time, it doesn't, it's not that important as more so than the actual character of Chad himself. And he's floating and in search of almost himself within the music industry, which is why also title wise, perfect. <laughs> it's besides the, the, of course the album reference and everything of that nature, but it's, it, it also encompasses the piece very, very well. Yeah, totally. Brandon, you got anything else or do you want me to hit, hit us with the closer? Yeah. I wanted to read um, a quick quote that speaks to what you were sort of talking about at the introduction mm-hmm. of the piece, which is how, um, Jeff really personally connects to this piece as an Asian American, right? And as Chad being an Asian American, you know, who's very like prominent yet subtly in this scene because that's his personality. And the quote um, is as follows. For this Asian American listener, Chad's subtle presence in the Neptune's affiliated music videos only added to his intrigue. You couldn't help but notice this spiky haired guy lingering in the periphery of Eclipse crew shot or playfully pantomiming his keyboard riffing alongside Snoop. Yet he was also so clearly organic to the scene. He effectively became a legit, if low-key, Asian-American role model. Something he acknowledges with a polite thank you. Like, even the response to that, you know, like, you get Jeff. Jeff is telling this guy, like, look, like, you were a major inspiration to me. Like, like your presence, like, made me feel like I could belong, right? And his response, you know, just the polite, like, thank you. Like, that's so much personification and subtlety. Yeah, well, it's it's cool because it's like he'll accept he'll accept the compliment, but also in a tone that's not like this is not what I was trying to do. But great, I I appreciate the love. You know, it's, <laughs> it's so it again. It's like you know, and even listening to you read that paragraph, it really goes back to what I said about tone. Like it re- like the way that that is presented feels like almost in the rhythm of the room. Like it's a very very specific thing. And we've talked a lot on on the podcast, or at least I have about like writers when they go into things kind of naturally going in the rhythm of the artist that they're covering and uh i think this is a huge example of that one last kind of funny thing that i wanted to close on which is just like and that's like the other thing about this piece is there's little little bits of humor throughout you want one more thing i've got well one last note on rhythm um Oh, oh okay because i noticed the same exact thing in his writing and i wanted to read one particular quote um and pay attention to the rhythm of the alliteration 
in this writing, right? Because this really like jumped out at me. So the quote is, there is no small irony in hearing this noted sonic futurist speak like a preservationist. His preoccupation with America's roots music is no pose. Like the alliteration is on a rhythm. It's on a beat there. It's not like one word after another. Like that sentence in its, in its own is like poetry, like with the rhythm of that alliteration. I just loved that. Yeah. Facts. Yeah. That's a good, good other thing to out. Good other element to point out and to close kind of that section about rhythm. Um, yeah. So the, again, the last thing I wanted to say is just, is that I think um, through the rhythm, you can also tell that Chad Hugo is kind of a funny guy, to be honest. And I think there was just a lot of, mo- there's just a lot of really well-placed humor in this piece, I thought. And the funniest thing to me of the whole piece um, and, you know, definitely read the piece to find more was when Chad Hugo <laughs> admitted to, to Jeff that he, at one point thought of just like being an employee at guitar center so he could mess around with all of the gear and just the thought in my head of like chad hugo just existing in virginia as like just an employee at a guitar center just like helping people find pop screens is like the funniest thing ever But yeah, I don't know how that trans- transitions exactly into Brie Runway, um, but we're going to close this thing out with a bang and, and you know, all of, all of Brie's art and content is, you know, explosive. So, so Tyler, why don't you take it away? And take it away, I shall, gentlemen. Um, taking flight, Brie Runway interviewed by Rahel Akilu. And by the way, I also want to like, as we've been talking about, producers as well and people who have done stuff in the background. I also want to highlight everyone else who made this article possible. Um, the photography by Ivan Schaffer, fashion by Shaquille Williams, and creative direction by Rob Myers. They helped bring this whole piece together. Um, but something I want to say off rip that I loved about this piece was, I'm, I've, I'm, I'm 100% sure they did this intentionally, they narrated it almost like it was like a book where they made Brie this, like literally saying our protagonist, Brie, Brenda, like making it like they were not only the center, they're like, we're making sure we stay and focused on their journey more than anything else and how, and all the transitions through it. It reminded me as someone who watches, watches anime and reads a lot of manga, it reminded me, I was like, I was reading almost a comic in a certain way. I thought it was really cool. Um, she wrote it as like this hero's tale and from the omniscient writer and narrator's viewpoint as she like did not only like peeled back the layers of Bree's um Bree Runway's life, but also gave us a peek into Brenda, who even Bree sees as a separation of self. So uh, almost going back to the GQ article that we did with the weekend, how a lot of artists themselves have this separation of artists versus real self. And how even Bree stated how like I know what self-care for a Brie runway looks like, but I'm still working on Brenda. And <laughs> I was like, oh, it's it's because she's getting it still. But stuff I wanted to bring up with you guys as well that she mentioned and touched on is, is there was this quote that said, there simply isn't enough vision, drive, or ambition to give black women the space to grow or the recognition to flourish. And it's usually to reference to the Brit Awards, how Little Sims won Best New Artist, even though 
she's been around. And Brie Runway is, is nominated for Rising Star when she's already been on her grind and she's already had some of her recognition. Like, almost like Little Sim should be nominated for Best Artist and, uh, or Best Artist of the Year and Brie should be more so in that Best New Artist category. So, as, as we go through this piece and we dissect a lot of things, but something I wanted to ask you guys is, how do you feel, maybe not... The, well, yeah, I would say the industry overall seems to be late and recognizing things and or even miscategorizing things at times. Okay, I got something directly for that. And the thing I was absolutely the most excited to talk about uh, about this piece, and I want to start off by saying kind of a salute to the writer uh, because the it seems like the writer makes – Brie Runway seemed like the most amazing interview to ever have. Right. Because the way the poll quotes are placed <laughs> is so like expertly done and like always like even in a narrative profile, like gives her the opportunity to speak for herself. And I think like there's nothing that I could say about this kind of sphere or thing better than this answer to this question from Brie Runway. And I actually feel like I've kind of avoided like saying quotes on the podcast. I feel like I was doing it so much, but this one was impossible not to point out. So I think this is literally one of my favorite answers to a question I've ever heard. So I'm just going to read this like little intro part to it and then the quote. Explaining the UK market's inability to categorize or box her into a genre, Brie draws an analogy to everybody's favorite pastime, parties. I feel like the UK are afraid of parties that they don't know the dress code to. They know it will be a good time, but are hesitant as they don't know what to wear. Is it a casual affair or a dressed up do? And I'm like a black lipstick and platform heels type party that everybody wants to attend, but is a little scared to. <laughs> and I like if she just said that off the dome, that is unreal. <laughs> that, <laughs> like the the analogy is like so insane. And it's obviously a thing she's thinking about all the time. But it's like my, who gives a flying fuck about my thoughts of how the thing operates? Like, that's it right there. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like it takes a special like and the sequencing, even if you go, I, I heavily encourage everyone to go read the piece. But the sequencing of kind of the setup to that section that I just read is so expertly done that the, when that one just like drops into the piece, it's just like, boom. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I literally took a second after I read that and I was like, wow, like it was like, let me set up all of these different things that are happening. I think even Tyler read something in his intro that was part of the, the section before it. And then it all leads into that. But yes, yeah, salute, salute to the writer and salute to Brie for like potentially off the dome coming up with such a crazy quote. It was yeah, like a I, I, story told that could be like done or from done from this perspective by Rahel. It was so captivating and made Brie the most interesting person you probably would just want to ever interview. Yeah. And I, I can, uh, I put down that exact same quote, Mickey. Um, but I can definitely speak to also to the setup leading to it because that, like sure. you said, like I've definitely noticed that the way that that stood out. Um, and one of the things is the way that quotes are used sort of semi sparingly in this piece. Um, there is a lot of exposition from the writer done extremely sharp, like almost one of the sharpest reads we've ever done, right? You you very much get the sense that like this writer, uh, Rahel, had a lot to say about Brie, Brie Runway and that like the interview 
is used to like accent these like very strong um, observations that the writer had made. Like the summary points of Bree Runway's career up until the point where you bring in these hard hitting quotes, I think is one of the most like well done career summaries that I've read in an article because it's so quick. It gives you the gravitas that the writer feels about Brie Runway's stance. Um, and then it gives you the larger like issues and the larger um, topics like surrounding the character. And then you get the quotes, right? And the way that the quotes are used sparingly allows the writer to bring in um, some of these much longer, meatier quotes that don't always find a real good home in a feature article as well. Like I said, it was like a novel. Like I was like, I, like I was reading like almost like something that was like, like I said, the omniscient viewpoint of like as they're telling this hero's journey, and also at the same time that they made it seem like Rahel made it seem like I am rooting for this person. Uh, of course, most times we as writers we want to write about something that's that someone that we find interesting, someone we do want to root for, someone's music we enjoy. But the way she not only inserted breeze quotes, but also told how was it like you said, like you said, Brandon tell how she felt about Brie. It was like, everyone should be listening to Brie. Here's why. <laughs> More than anything else. Yeah. I, I want to throw a word into the mix, which is holistic. That's what I felt was the, the, the feeling of this piece where like the other one was all about tone. This one felt really about like giving a holistic view of the writer of the artist and a holistic view of the artist themselves on the world that they're navigating. Um, and then I, I want to use that as like a transition into the next thing, at least I wanted to talk about. And I don't know if you wanted to bring this up, Tyler, but uh, one of my the kind of sections and I'm not going to read another quote, but <laughs> one of the sections that really jumped out to me uh, was the kind of TikTok section. And yeah. then what that that how that was expanded into what felt like a really holistic um, kind of coming together of Bree's full point of view, which felt incredibly current to me. Um, and is an, a reason why I also felt Tyler, I was like, oh, I'm really rooting for this artist after I read this, which is the like, the like, you know, no matter, I kind of avoided TikTok for a while because it's like another thing on my plate, but it's like the necessity of doing this is something that I have to do. And then that kind of led into, in order to connect with my fans. And then that kind of led into the, the ideology that she's developed, um, which is basically not giving a flying fuck what the industry contextualizes her as, which is kind of goes back to the quote from before and really more focusing on those kind of direct paths to her fan base and expanding on that because the industry has no idea where to place her anyway. So I might, she might as well focus all of her energy onto the places where people who are not like these kind of old washed up industry people are living and kind of taking in her artistry and her music and I mean it's gotten her this far and it's worked really well but I thought that was all outlined really well in that section kind of one thing leading to another um by Rahel so yeah. it's almost it's almost even like the difference between like reactive and proactive right like from an industry perspective, like dealing with TikTok is a reactive measure. It's catching up, right? It's like, oh shit, like we have to have our artists on TikTok. We have to understand what's trending. We have to understand how to make them do this thing. And so they're reacting to TikTok as it comes. And that's sort of her introduction to TikTok. Um, she's initially apprehensive about, you know, I don't, this isn't feel like me. I don't want to really force myself into this thing where I'm working with, you know, an industry TikTok expert, which by the way, I would love to interview. If any of you listening know of a, like of a TikTok um, 
what do they call it? Like consultant for a, a label. I would love to do that. Like, That's just call them like honestly, in, like TikTok influencers at this point. Yeah, like, they do well, brand even, deals and everything that nature. It's even we'll like a consultant. It's a consultant though, yeah, because <laughs> they're like dealing with like instructing an artist and instructing a label on how your artist should be acting and following the trends on TikTok, right? And that's oh, yeah. that's that's Bree's introduction to this sphere that she's apprehensive about getting into. But pretty quickly when she gets into that sphere, she finds her own way to do it, right? And when she finds her own way to do it, it it's more successful and it's more natural and it's more organic. Um than the tick than the label TikTok consultant. And as Mickey said, you know, that sort of concept that like every time that she's sort of the industry sort of tries to like, you know, put a box around her or, you know, label her as this or put her in this corner, you know, she it never sticks. You know, she always it just like she can't be contained because of the organic nature of of her, you know, grandioseness, I guess. Like the way that she breaks out as a star. It's like, they, this was the biggest advertisement for a star if I've ever seen one. And in the best way, like through the writing and how organically they put everything. Like it's, we were talking, I was talking about structure earlier. And as Mickey was saying, how Rahel laid out those points to then discuss how Brie Runway is separated from the pack per se. It made it more clear. Like, as you were saying, it's all, it, it, the point that she tried to drive home was originality. How Bree's originality and organic nature to not only to her art, to her fashion, to her persona is what makes her so interesting and how people are not only captivated by it, but how they're also afraid of it at the same time. Yeah, we got to talk about the fashion too. Um, so good. <laughs> when, it, when it got to that point, you know, I truly appreciated the genius of the name Bree Runway, um, by the way, like golden. But in, in the same, like, the sense that the fat that her her entrance into sort of a a fashion career is is given that same tone of like breakout unable to be contained right like she gets invites to the Met Gala based on Instagram posts right you know and she's she's there and she's dealing with you know stars in the industry like Kanye and um there are other people mentioned the Dude, article that aren't coming to my name right now Kanye yeah gonna. so like this this sort of like organic natural un uncrafted and un like not uncrafted i guess but un perfectly crafted crafted in a way yeah but crafted crafted naturally and organically propels her into that space right where where all of these sort of more like artificial labels these industry shapings and guidelines you know they're not the things that directs her to the places that she goes you know it happens because it happens it happens because it was gonna happen just by the natural like way that she carries herself and the way um, that she works with her creativity and her platform. Yeah, agreed. Tyler, you got any closing thoughts before we wrap this thing up? I think we're getting about to the hour, and you know. Uh, I think closing thoughts for me really is uh, if you can it, for the way I'm gonna keep examining this article to make my, to make it seem like whoever person I'm talking about is the main character and how you are how you want to take that hero's journey with them and. And the way that they ended this article, it wasn't a conclusion. It was a to be continued. Mm. And I thought that was perfect. Yeah, that's I think that's like the perfect way to not just wrap up that article. But this episode, it feels like a real through line of all of the things that we talked about. Um, so just to kind of restate the titles of the pieces so you can go back and read them all if you'd like. 
uh, for OK Players First Look Friday series. The p- first piece we discussed is Red Veil is the DMV's Next Great Hope, and that was penned by Josh Fetz. The second piece is In Search of Chad Hugo by Jeff Mao for GQ, which was the piece we discussed second and the one I discussed. And the third and final piece that we just discussed is Taking Flight, Brie Runway, interviewed by Rahel Akhlilu for Cash. For Clash, sorry. And, uh, uh, yeah, and I hope, yeah, you know, I hope you got paid cash for your piece for clash um and uh yeah so thanks everyone new and uh and old listeners uh for checking in with us and listening to all of our thoughts and ideas about these things that we feel really passionate about um and yeah catch you next time also i mean a thing we always say at the end is you know independent writers for maybe smaller publications if you have some cool pieces that you'd you know like more of a highlight on that you really you know put your foot into we're super always super down to read them and potentially highlight them if we really love them on the podcast so send them our way as always um but yeah peace out for me again i'm mickey heller back your host um yeah catch yeah. you on the flip brandon help how's it going forever thanks for this out everyone episode of In Search of Source featured Brandon Hill, Michaela Back, and Tyler Jones of Central Craft Collective. The episode was edited by me, Charlie Taylor, Fifth End Podcast Network, music for the show, focused on by Basti. Thanks to Joe Rex for its use. This has been the Central Source Fifth End Podcast Network production. Thanks to Basti, Joe Rex, Central Source Fifth Element, and content covering the episode can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time as we continue our search for Source.